Our gospel lesson for this week, Transfiguration Sunday, comes from Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. May the grace and peace of our triumph God be yours today and forever. Amen. I'm thinking about TV and the format that we get TV these days. Now, in my household, we have been streaming TV for several years now, probably five, six years, that we've just streamed it through the internet from one provider or another. Now, there's also satellite TV out there, or satellite cable, if you want to call it that. That is still an option. I don't know how many people still use it, but I know it's still out there. And when I think back, actually, cable through the satellite, or TV through a satellite, was the first opportunity that my family had back on the farm to actually get expanded TV. Now, I mentioned also cable. I've been through cable over the years, and you know, you get it through the wire, and it comes through the, the system that way. And, but also, as I look clear back in my own history of how to watch TV, I remember back in the day, on the farm especially, although I think basically everybody has experienced this at one time or another, that TV was broadcast analog through a channel or through, through a, a signal that was beamed through the air, and everybody in their house had that antenna on top of the roof that, would, that they would have to turn various directions in order to get the signal. Now, the earliest I remember was we had four channels, four channels that would come through the antenna that was on top of, of the roof of my parents' house. And where they were at, if we wanted to get some of the, basically it was the, the, the networks. If we wanted to get ABC or CBS, or excuse me, ABC or NBC, we had to turn that antenna to the southwest where we would pick up the Sioux City channels. If we wanted to watch CBS, we had to swing it up the opposite direction. It had to go around to the northeast, and we could pick up the CBS station out of Mankato, Minnesota. We could get either one of those. Now, there was also Iowa Public Television, and it seemed like we could pick that up regardless of, of what direction the antenna was, was focusing. But that was basically it. We basically had those four channels, and that was, that, that was the option. However, there were moments. They were rare, but they did happen every once in a while. And I can remember these very vividly when I was, I was pretty young. When the, the stars would align, when the, the signals would be perfect and the conditions would be absolutely perfect, which is to say bright and clear with absolutely no wind whatsoever, we could get Fox. 
Now, as a little kid, I loved this because Fox at that time was, would put cartoons on, and that means that I could watch cartoons besides just on Saturday mornings. So this was a big deal. So it would be one of those situations. Every once in a while, I'd be flipping through the channels, and I would look outside, and I'd be like, oh, it's bright and clear, and there's no wind. I'm going to try. And it was channel 17. I just kind of remember that. I would check channel 17, and it'd be like, yes, I've got Fox. I can watch cartoons. Oh, snap. Yes. It was just this amazing, glorious moment when I would be full of jubilee and because it was so unexpected. Now, I'm thinking actually about the reaction that idea of, oh, wow, or whoa, or oh, snap. That's kind of some weird slang that I picked up somewhere. And, but you know what? Sometimes that's important. Tuck that idea in the back of your head and really think more about this idea of the signals aligning or the signal coming through so unexpectedly. And let's get into this story, the transfiguration, this incredible moment in which Jesus invites these three disciples. I always call them the big three, Peter, James, and John. It seems like they get to be partial to a lot of different amazing moments in Jesus' ministry or amazing moments in this time. And I don't know why it's just those three, but they do. So, but regardless, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they go up this high mountain by themselves. Now, it stands to reason Jesus probably knew what was going to happen. I don't know that he knew, but I figure he probably did. But as they're going, they go up this high mountain, and as they get to the top of the mountain, this incredible moment happens. The transfiguration, where Jesus is somehow changed before them. As they're watching, they see his appearance change. Now, we don't know a ton of, of what exactly this would have looked like. The descriptions for it, I think, are kind of lacking. But we hear that somehow his face has changed, and it, it blazes like the sun. So he becomes incredibly bright, apparently. And we hear that his clothes become dazzling white. Uh, one of the other gospel accounts of this talks about how it's, it's white, like no launderer can make them. Matthew doesn't say that, but it's in one of the other ones. So somehow, the appearance of Jesus is utterly changed in the, the, in the, in the, the sight of these three guys. And... The only thing that I can make of it, the only thing that I can try and wrap my head around this, this oddball, strange moment is that somehow the divinity of Jesus, the divine nature of Jesus, who is both God and human, somehow broke through the human in this instant, and Peter and James and John were able to see it. Now, as this moment happens, we also hear there's a couple other people that show up. And it's Moses and it's Elijah, two very important figures from Jewish history. Moses, who, who way back when had given the, uh, received the law from God and given it to the people. And then Elijah, who was one of the most important, the most prolific uh, prophets from that period in the history of the Jewish people. So these two important figures also show up, and, and the three guys see it too. Now, we hear from Peter. They're experiencing this incredible moment, and I don't know if they're picking their jaw up off the floor, stands to reason that they probably were, or if, if they're just confused, or if they're excited. We don't exactly know how they're feeling in this moment, but Peter, in typical Peter fashion, he speaks up. Lord, it is good that we are here. I will make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. We should stay here. Now, as they're speaking, as he is saying this, all of a sudden, this bright cloud envelops them. And the voice from, of God 
booms out of the cloud, and it is terrifying. And we hear that the three disciples hit the ground, they fall on their faces because they're so freaked out. But seemingly, as quick as it happens, as soon as it starts, it's also over. And Jesus comes over to them and touches them and tells them, do not be afraid, be raised up, get your, you, you must get up, be raised up off the ground. And as they look around, everyone else is gone. It's just Jesus. It seems that the cloud is gone. Moses and Elijah seem to have disappeared. We don't know if Jesus is still looking different or if he just looks normal and human again. We don't have that detail. But this amazing moment happens, and it's there, and then it's over. That's the story. And as they're going back down the mountain, Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone else of this vision until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. That is the story of the transfiguration. The language is important. We have this story. It's also featured in Mark's gospel, and it's featured in Luke's gospel. It's important enough that three of the four gospels all report it. So this incredible moment was there. And even if Peter and James and John don't say anything to anybody else initially, and they follow the command of Jesus not to reveal the vision, at some point they do because three of the four Gospels have it. So clearly they told somebody. But I'm really, really fascinated by the fact that in Matthew's Gospel alone, just this account, Jesus calls it a vision. Tell no one else of the vision until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Now we hear about visions a lot throughout the course of the scriptures. Lots of people have visions, and visions seem to be these incredible moments when somehow God gets the attention of the individual and reveals something important to them, oftentimes life-shattering or, or life-altering in terms of, of the revelation that they are receiving through this vision. Peter himself will have visions later on in the book of Acts, so he definitely is prone to them. But it raises the question, why would Jesus call this a vision? Does that mean that they just sort of saw this happen, but it didn't actually happen? It was kind of like a dream or, or almost like they were overcome by some divine moment? Maybe, maybe not. And maybe that doesn't really matter. But the nature of visions in what we see tells me something that's, that's interesting to, to recognize and perhaps why Jesus says, don't tell anyone else for a while because this was for them. That catches my attention. It seemed to be for them in this moment. I've often asked the question, why do these big three disciples, why are they the ones who always seem to get to have these big moments? Oftentimes, through Jesus' ministry and the times that, that the disciples were following, it's these three that get to experience something extra, something more. They're, they're privy to, to, to come in and witness a couple of different miracles that the other disciples don't get to see. Later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when Jesus is about to be betrayed, he takes these three deeper into the garden to pray with him. It's these three that seem to get the extra attention. And I oftentimes wonder, why is that? I did a little bit of digging as I wrestled with that question. Why these three? And I wondered, is God trying to get their attention? Is God really trying to almost smack them upside the head to get them to realize something? And as I worked with the original language in the translation, something I do every week, I began to see a little bit of where that might be coming in. Now, it is not present in this English translation that we used. But 
there are three occurrences of a Greek word. I really, really like this word whenever I see it pop up. Now, the word is idu, and it basically is like this moment of exclamation that's trying to get your attention. Now, oftentimes, we'll translate it as behold. But you can't just say behold. You have to put a little gusto to it, right? Behold. But it almost might be like, wake up or whoa, or oh snap, like I was thinking before with, with the signal showing up from Fox so I could watch the cartoons. Oh snap, it's there. It's this surprising, almost uh, amazing, just, just wake up and see it. Oh snap, did you just see that? And again, three times it happens. First we hear, oh snap, Moses and Elijah were standing there talking. And then Peter makes his proclamation or says this thing to Jesus. And oh, snap, a bright cloud enveloped them. And oh, snap, the voice from the cloud said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well. Please listen to him. Oh, snap. Maybe, just maybe, God is trying really hard to get the attention of these three guys. Maybe Jesus, who is also God, intentionally took them up the mountain knowing that this was going to happen because they needed to get this signal, to get this, the, the, this extra bit. And I thought about why would that be? Well, maybe Peter, maybe Peter's a bit of a no-brainer. I always think that Peter is our human entry point, the one that we can relate to in these amazing moments because he is so human. Peter is impulsive. He's always quick to speak. He seems to be really slow to think. And he has these moments all of the time. Interestingly enough, I think if we paid attention to the narration of this passage, we actually get led back to one of those moments. This passage starts six days later. And I was like, well, six days after what? If we look back, we see six days earlier, Jesus was having this moment and he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter, in a divinely inspired moment, says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus is like, yes, I am. Now let me tell you what that means. And he makes the first of three passion predictions, the time when he says, I am the Messiah, and here's what that means. I am going to be betrayed, I'm going to be tortured, I'm going to be killed, but I am going to raise again. And Peter, who has just said, you are the Messiah, swings around and says, no, Lord, this must never happen. And he rebukes Jesus, and then in turn, Jesus turns around and rebukes him. That has just happened six days earlier. And now this moment. But what about James and John? Why do they need this extra little work? Well, you know, they had their moments too. I mentioned that Jesus makes his passion prediction three times. The third one, which will happen a couple of chapters after this, James and John decide that they're like, well, hmm, if Jesus is going to be killed but then raise again and he's going to take this position of authority in heaven, maybe we should see if we can capitalize on that. Lord, allow us to sit at your right and your left hand when you come into your kingdom. They're trying to jockey for position. Clearly, they don't get it either. So we've got Peter and we've got James and John, all of which respond very moronically, if we want to say that, to the news of who Jesus is and what it is that God is up to through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So maybe they did need that extra work. Maybe they did need that extra attention. Maybe they needed that signal from God when the stars align just perfectly like when Fox would show up for me so that they can be like, oh, snap, something's going on here. I think we all have those times at one time or another, don't we? Those moments when something happens that reveals the presence of God. 
Now, sometimes it might feel really positive, and sometimes it might feel really, really detrimental. And rest assured, whenever it happens, it's probably scary. That's something that we see throughout the scriptures. When the divine shows up, human nature gets freaked out. The disciples fell on their face when they realized they were in the presence of God. We hear many other times when people will encounter an angel or they'll encounter the presence of God and they are terrified because it seems like the divine is just more than we can handle. But what I find to be good news in this is the assurance that Jesus gives us, that Jesus says, do not be afraid, do not be terrified. And throughout this amazing encounter, this amazing moment, this terrifying moment that really gets the attention of these three guys, Jesus is with them the whole time. He's there when it starts, and he's there when it's over. And the assurance of God says, listen to him. He is the beloved one, and he is with you. And that is a reminder for us that the divine is with us too, always in the good times and the bad times, in the times when maybe we're aware of it and the times that it also doesn't feel like it. I believe the truth of the gospel reminds us that we have a God who is willing to make the stars align in order to get our attention. And I think that the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus was that incredible display. God showing us that there is no length God will not go to in order to be with us. That's what Jesus was ultimately up to. That's what the disciples got to bear witness to. And that's why this moment was a vision for them until after the Son of Man was raised from the dead. And then it seems that they told everybody about it because it shows up here and it shows up in two other Gospels. It is a story that we have received. Jesus is the beloved Son of God and we are called to listen to him. And what we hear from him is his claim upon each one of us, that you are 